True leadership is servant leadership. Have you ever had a boss that you could find them doing those small tasks that, uh, that were menial tasks, but there was nobody else there to do them, and you just find them doing those types of things? That's servant leadership. A few years back, I had the privilege to go to a pastor's retreat in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And while we were there, we were able to actually go to the Louisville Bat Factory. And um, as we were there, we got to sit with Jack Hilrick, and there's a picture of him up here. He is the third-generation owner of uh, Hilrick and Bradsbury, uh, Bradsbury, the uh, owners of Louisville Bat. Um, and he not only talked to us about leadership for an hour and a half, but then he gave us a personal tour of the factory and of the museum. Uh, and that was an amazing experience and a privilege uh, to be able to hang out with him. But as we were there, and, he, and Jack was showing us around the area, um, there were people who were there visiting the museum that had no idea who he was, right? Um, they had no idea that he was the CEO and third-generation owner of this company, he, they thought that he was just another tour guide. And so they started asking him questions like, where's the bathroom at? And, you know, where's this? And uh, instead of, of Mr. Hilrick uh, getting offen- offended by that and saying, do you know who I am? I, I'm the third generation owner of this company. He just smiled, answered their question, took time to show them where the restrooms were. Somebody else was asking about where this certain bat was in the museum. And he walked them over and he talked to them about it and Not once did he try to delegate that to someone else, but he just took the time to interact with these people and serve them. And I saw in that moment and in some interactions that he had with some of his employees, Mr. Hilrick's servant heart. But maybe you've seen the opposite of that in in a boss. that They won't do anything that isn't part of their job description that's beneath them, right? How many of you guys have maybe seen that? You have a tendency to want to take the road of least resistance, the easiest road possible. And while delegating is absolutely necessary for a leader, there comes a time that with every leader, they have to do the menial task, the ones that are on the bottom of everyone else's list. That's servant leadership. Well, we've been studying through Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we have seen over the last number of weeks uh, some examples of mature living in the faith, people who were living for Jesus and people who were living like Jesus. In the last two weeks, we have seen how God always exalts the humble and opposes the proud. And last week, we saw that we need to replace our, our pride with humility so that we can serve others and put others first and ourselves last and serve them as Jesus has served us. Well, now Paul is going to give us some real-life examples of what that looks like, what it looks like to humble ourselves and to serve other people over ourselves. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at these four examples of humility and serving others. And this morning, we're going to start with the example of Jesus. Jesus is going to show us how we are to humble ourselves and serve others, and it starts with us having an attitude check. 
So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me over to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. We'd love uh, to give you a copy of one for you to take home if you don't own one. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be at today. Um, If you're looking for Philippians, it's in the New Testament, which is on the right side of your Bibles. It comes right after the book of Ephesians and right before the book of Colossians. And we're going to be in in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to start there in verse 1. And I know that we've been in these four verses for the last couple weeks, but this will be our last time in them, okay? All right? So read along with me. We'll have them up here on the screen, too. Paul says, verse 1, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility Value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So Paul tells us here to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus in our relationships towards others. He says, have the same attitude as Jesus. You see, Jesus, he understood, even from a very young age, why he had come to this world. He knew that he was here to serve mankind. Even from a a very young age, Jesus understood this. We see this in this one episode from Jesus' teenage years, right, that we see. Jesus was 12 years old. Him and his his family had traveled to the temple to worship God. And and then he stayed behind. And then later, uh, Mary and Joseph realized that he wasn't there. And so they go back searching for him. And and when they finally find him, how did Jesus respond to them? He said, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? There's another translation that has those verses like this. Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Jesus understood what he had come here to do. Later, when Jesus' disciples began fighting over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, the coming kingdom, listen to how Jesus responded to them in Mark chapter 10, verse 43. He says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man, a title that Jesus used for himself, a title that's used for the Messiah in the Old Testament quite a bit, he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. James and John and the other disciples were were fighting over who was going to have power and authority in the coming kingdom. They wanted to have a place of authority in Jesus' kingdom. They wanted to be served by other people. But Jesus says, my kingdom isn't like that. My, My kingdom is different from all the other kingdoms. To be great in my kingdom, Jesus says, you must serve others. We've seen this the last two weeks. 
God exalts the humble. To be first, we must be a servant to all. Even Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah, came not to be served, but to serve, giving his life as a ransom for us. Jesus has set the example for what it means to put others first and to put ourselves last. Jesus shows us what servant leadership and greatness look like. He shows us that servant leadership and greatness in the kingdom of God looks like humbling ourselves and putting others first and ourselves last. Paul says, have this same mindset. Have this same attitude in your relationships with other people. This is what Jesus has done for us and what we are to do for others. We must have an attitude check. We must make sure that we are seeing other people the way Jesus sees other people. We need to have the same attitude and the same mindset as Jesus when it comes to our relationships with others. So what has Jesus done for us? Well, Jesus who is fully God, became fully man and became God with us. Look at the next verses in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul continues and says, Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant Being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Although Jesus existed in the very form of God, even though Jesus was the very nature of God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. And Jesus, being fully God, became fully man so that he might serve our greatest need. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 14 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us. In our time of need. Jesus is fully God. He said that I and the Father are one. And yet Jesus became fully man. He has been tempted in every way as we are. And yet he is without sin. John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in the beginning, the Word was with God, and 
Then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And because God has become a man and suffered as we do and is tempted as we are, we can now approach the throne of God's uh, we can now approach God's throne with confidence, not in ourselves, but confidence in Jesus. When the angels told Mary and Joseph that they would have a son and that he would be the son of God, they said his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is fully God, and he became fully man. He is fully God, and he must be worshipped as such, and yet he became fully man, and he moved into our neighborhood. I love the way that the message translation uh, translates these verses in Philippians 2. It says, He had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages and the status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and he took on the status of a slave becoming human. John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became flesh and blood and moved in to our neighborhood. God came down and he set up camp. He tabernacled among us. He lived among us. Hebrews, that verse that we we looked at, said that we don't have a high priest who cannot empathize, but one who can, because Jesus has been tempted in all ways as we have been, and yet is without sin. God humbled himself, becoming a man, fully God and fully man. Now, sometimes I think that we look at Jesus and we we think that Jesus is some sort of like men in black kind of God, right? You guys seen the movie Men in Black, right? All these aliens come down and they put on disguises and they live among us, right? And sometimes I think we look at Jesus and we think that's what he did, that he put on a disguise and he kind of lived among us. But the reality is that's not it at all. Jesus set aside all the privileges of being God and being in the place that was not plagued with sin and all of its consequences. And he set aside all of that and he humbled himself, becoming fully human. God in the flesh. God with us. But he did not stop with just becoming fully human. But then he humbled himself to the point of death. He humbled himself even to the point of death in order to serve your and mine greatest need. He thought of our need to be saved. He he thought of the price that needed to be paid for our sins above his own, over his well-being, over his needs, over his own life. He thought of you and me and served us by giving his life as a ransom for you. And for me, he was obedient to death. Now, I want you to notice here that Paul does not say that death had power or right over him. It did not. But yet he obeyed death. Not that he deserved death, 
but he served us because death has power over us because of sin. But he is without sin. Jesus said that I lay down my life for the, for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. And I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it back up again. Jesus willingly laid down his life for you and for me. Not because he deserved it, but because we do. In Hebrews chapter 2, this is what the writer says in verse 17. He says, for this reason... He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, and he is able to help those who are being tempted. In the Bible, we see a word that's kind of a big word, and probably don't use it in our culture too much, but it's one of those church words. It's the word propitiation. And, and it, the word propitiation means a divine act of appeasing God's wrath. And, and thus it incurs divine favor to avoid divine retribution. In other words, God, through Jesus, became fully human. And he lived the life that you and I can't, perfect, without sin. And then, even though he didn't deserve death, he willingly laid down his life and died, taking our place, making atonement for our sins, propitiation. That's what that means. God is just, and sin must be punished. There's no way around that. God's wrath must be carried out. You see, God's forgiveness for us doesn't just mean that he doesn't punish our sins. That's not what God's forgiveness is. God's forgiveness is much more. It's he takes the punishment that you and I deserve, and he laid that on his son Jesus. That's the price of God's forgiveness. You and I sin, and we deserve God's wrath. God is just, and so if sin is how we work, then death should be the check. But Jesus, being fully God, humbled himself and was made like us, and then the one who was without sin, Jesus, took on the judgment and the payment and the punishment and the wrath that you and I deserve because of our sin, giving us what we don't deserve, the divine favor of God, which Jesus deserves and we don't. Jesus made atonement. He made propitiation for our sins. And because of this, God has exalted Jesus with the name that is above every name. That at his name, that every knee shall bow and every tongue should confess. In fact, that's exactly what Paul says next. Look at verse 9. Therefore, 
God exalted him, talking about Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We've said this for the last two weeks, but over and over and over again throughout God's Word, throughout the Bible, we see this idea of God exalting the humble. And we see it again with Jesus. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus thought of your need and my need over his own, laying down his life, taking our place, and God has lifted him up, not just through the resurrection, but God has exalted him that his name, the name of Jesus, is above every name, that at his name every knee on earth and in heaven and under the earth will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, we have the option of confessing him willingly here and now, or we will bow the knee and confess the name when he returns. Some of you need to come today, and for the first time, you need to bow your knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You need to come and with your your mouth and with your tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is King and is the Lord. Jesus has served your greatest need. He has paid for your sins. And so come today and repent of those sins. Come and bow your knee to him by meeting Jesus in baptism. And if that's you, or if you want to talk about what that means and what that looks like, I'm going to head out to the lobby a little bit later, and I'd love to talk with you today. But Jesus has not only served our greatest need, but Paul's main whole point here is that Jesus has also set an example for us to follow. He has set the ultimate example in serving others. Now, I love this. We looked earlier at how James and John and the other disciples were fighting over who was going to be the greatest. And Jesus told them that the greatest in the kingdom of God is the one who serves, the one who is a servant to all, a slave to all. But Jesus didn't just tell them and teach them. But just a few hours later, Jesus showed them what it looked like to be a servant to all. What it looked like for the Son of Man to, to serve their needs. Now, during the time of Jesus, the main mode of transportation was not bike or car or even horse, okay? It was by foot. <laughs> and they wore sandals, no closed-toed shoes. And so they walked everywhere that they went with sandals, in dirt roads. Uh, I don't know about you, but I know how nasty my feet get during the summer when I got my flip-flops on. So imagine that times 10 every single day of their lives. Their feet were gross. Jesus had gathered in the upper room with his disciples who were just moments earlier fighting over who was going to be the greatest. And in this culture, not only were their feet nasty from walking all day and everywhere they went, but 
the job of washing guests' feet would fall, as you would probably guess, to the lowest servant in the house, right? The new guy got the worst job. (laughs) But this night, as they're sharing this meal, Jesus had taught them just moments earlier that the greatest in the kingdom of God is a servant all, and then he gets up, and he takes off his outer coat, and he grabs a towel, and he wraps it around his waist, and one by one, he begins washing his disciples' dirty, nasty, stinking feet and serving them. And not only serving them, but setting an example for them and for us. Peter, for a moment, resists Jesus washing his feet. He's like, Jesus, you're the teacher. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You don't have to be washing my feet. I'm going to be washing yours. And, and, and finally, after some conversation, Peter allows him to wash his feet. But then Jesus takes it even a step further. And he bows down and he begins washing the feet of a man who he knows in just a few moments is going to sell him out to the religious leaders. He takes the water in the basin with a towel wrapped around his waist and he begins to wash the feet of Judas. And then he turns to his disciples who moments earlier were fighting over who was going to be the greatest. And he turns to them and this is what Jesus tells them in John 13. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash the f- another, uh, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus not only served his disciples' need, but he gave them and us an example to go and do the same. So friends, I wonder this morning, how might we wash the feet of those around us this week? How might we serve our spouse And wash their feet this week. Maybe it's taking time to truly listen to them. Maybe we can serve our spouse by leading them and studying God's word. How might we wash the feet of our children this week? How might we serve their needs over our own? How might we put the towel on at work this week and serve the needs of our coworkers. Maybe it's helping that coworker move or inviting the other coworker out to lunch and just letting them know how much you care about them. How might we serve our neighbor this week or our friends this week? How might we wash the feet of the Walmart employee this week? How might we serve our teachers this week? How might we wash the feet of our classmates this week? Maybe it's as small as sitting with that one student who is sitting by themselves at lunch or playing by themselves on the playground. 
that no one else is. You see, here at Journey Church, we put it this way. We say that we follow the example of Jesus who sacrificed self for the needy, the hurting, and the lost. And this is how we put our faith into action, by mobilizing to help uh, our community and our world, even when we are called to sacrifice and to suffer, to care for their needs over our own. Because this is what Jesus has done for us. So how might we wash the feet of those around us this week? How might we as the church serve our community? How might we put our faith into action? A little small way that our life group was able to to serve this, this week. In fact, last night our life group went and cooked and served dinner to the Campus Christian Fellowship who's having their fall retreat. Man, it's just a small way that we could serve these college students' needs. I wonder how else we, as Journey Church, we as life groups, we as individuals, we as families, how we might serve the needs of others this week. Jesus has not only washed our feet, but he has washed away our sins. So how might we serve others and wash their feet? How can we follow the example of Jesus this week? I know that it starts with us having a change of attitude. It starts with us having the same mindset that Jesus has had for us in serving others and seeing others as Jesus does. A few weeks ago, I asked you guys if you would commit to, to praying a prayer that week. And I want to take us back to that because I think it applies this week as well. Can we commit to pray for these three things this week as a church? Will you pray and say, God, Help me to see other people as you do. Help me to see their needs and help me to meet them. Can we pray that this week? God, help me to see other people as you do. Help me to see their needs and help me to meet them. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. He calls us to go and do the same for others. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this example of your son Jesus who has served our greatest need. That he is is fully God and became fully man. He humbled himself even to the point of death to serve us. And Father, help us to have this same mindset in our relationships with others. That we will sacrifice and be willing to suffer to care for their needs over our own. Father, help us as individuals, as families, help us as your church, help us as life groups to see the opportunities that you will place before us to wash the feet of others and to serve their needs as your son Jesus has served us. What an honor and a privilege to follow the example of your son Jesus. Give us Give us the strength, 
to do so. Father, give us the eyes to see other people as you do. Help us to see their need and help us to meet it. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We ask all of this in his name. Amen.